for March 3rd, 2014. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 296. This is not to say Juilliard graduates don't deliver pizza professionally. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Hollywood, California, the the Dolby Theater, standing outside where it has started raining again, and uh, all the dry celebrities are getting wet as they come out of the governor's ball. No, that's not really happening. I, I made that up, and I'm Matt Rather, the maker-up of things. I'm here with the panel to talk about the Oscars. Uh, 2014, an unremarkable telecast uh, with a few bright shining moments that were all too brief. Panel, your question tonight in honor of Best uh, best Actor Matthew McConaughey's speech, who is your hero? Uh, I mean, besides me, besides me, guys. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, and I still have to go first? I have to think of another one, Matt? (laughs) You can can use me 10 years from now if you want. (laughs) If you want. Uh, That's Pete Fenzel. (laughs) I like that really pregnant pause before the word speech that you said. Matthew McConaughey's speech. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we'll talk more about that later. So my hero, especially my Oscar hero tonight, and I tweeted this very, very early in the evening from the Overthinking It account, is, uh, I quote, some of the guys from ESPN. Uh, you ask me why? Why are some of the guys from ESPN your hero? Because on the red carpet, when Bill Murray was being interviewed on the red carpet, as he was one of the last big names to enter the Dolby Auditorium or the Dolby Theater for the Oscar broadcast, he was asked, Bill, who makes you laugh? And he said, uh, David Letterman makes me laugh, uh, some of the guys from ESPN, and my children. Um, so that's pretty. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty Titanic company for those some guys from ESPN to be in and to really to bring to bring smile to the face of Pagliacci himself is a great achievement. So I salute you, <laughs> some guys from ESPN, for your great achievement today and all days, and also every hour on the hour, uh, giving us everything that we need to know about the latest in sports. Excellent, Mark Lee. Other than me and me, ten years from now, and me twenty years from now, who's your hero? Uh, you 30 years? <laughs> no, no, no. It's you 40 years from now, Matt. That's who it really is. Wow. That's pretty the fact that you will be alive in 40 years from now if if you're, you 40 years from now is my hero. And 40 years from now, I want to be alive. And um, if, 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 if there's anything you look up to in your hero, it's livingness, you know, being alive and not dead. You know, that's really it, right? What else got to look for? No. Okay. Um, my hero. I had something good to pick out just a second ago, and I just wasted all my brain power on, uh, on that ridiculous line of, uh, of humor. Uh, wait a hey, I have, to, like, I have to Okay. Because okay. s- okay. there's lots of people. Okay, okay, okay. I got it. I got it. All right. It's, um, it's for um, my hero is Ellen DeGeneres. And Captain, Captain, William, Captain William Shatner and everyone else who's gone into the no-win scenario. <laughs> In Ellen DeGeneres' situation, it is, of course, agreeing to host the Oscar. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's Kobe Oscar Maru. <laughs> right? And like, okay, a lot of people try. And Title. I, I salute those people as heroes. Um, 
uh, this is the few. It is the William it is the uh, Captain Kirk's out there, fictional characters, like fictional Starfleet captains who actually beat the no win scenario. Uh, but you know, but uh, uh, Ellen generous still deserves some credit for trying. So I salute you, Ellen. Hopefully, next time you salute, you will find a way to cheat and change the rules like Captain Kirk did, so you can beat the no win scenario. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Morituras. Uh... Morituri, plural, I guess, te salutamus, right, <laughs> which, which is Latin and uh, translates roughly into we who are about to host the Oscars salute you. <laughs> uh, am, I crazy, am I crazy to say that Seth MacFarlane was better? <laughs> well, I want to I talk about that. I was, I was thinking, um, I went to my mother's house to watch the Oscars and, uh, and drove manically uh, through Oscar traffic, which snarling the freeways of Los Angeles. No, not at all. Uh, I, drove, I drove manically home, though, to, to, and made a record time to get here in time for the podcast. And, uh, and Fiona, my girlfriend, and I were, were in the car talking about uh, what to talk about on, on the podcast. She writes all my material for me. And uh, we were talking a little bit about about Seth MacFarlane and uh, and we saw your boobs, right? Like th- that was a thing to talk about, you know. That was a thing that happened, <laughs> and and you, you could criticize it. I think justifiably, right? You could strongly criticize it. In fact, you could hate it. But it was a thing, and it happened. It was an event that occurred that you could talk about, and like the 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 selfie. You know, the selfie heard around the world, right, just doesn't, uh, uh, just doesn't cut it. The, and the pizza bit, though, you know, like you, Mark, I guess I got to give her credit for really committing to the bit, right? Like, it's hard once you know the bit is a loser to, to just give yourself <laughs> to it over and over again, 100%. But my God, she did. Um and not one, not one, but two selfies in the uh, in the Oscar ceremony. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, I I have a hero. It's Glenn Close uh, because she used the word "rot" in her intro, mm. and I don't think a lot of these. I mean, even you know, they were lampshading the fact that like Oscar nominated actors not so smart. Or you know, not so educated anyway. They may be very, they may be very smart, but it was like, well, Amy Adams, you seem smart. You went to college, right? <laughs> no, oh, that's a hilarious joke. Oh, yes. hilarious. Uh, <laughs> not, not funny. No. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I, I'm not sure. I'm a little uncomfortable with that, like being called out. Uh, about uh, about Amy Adams, as though that were the thing that was like remarkable or worth worthy of note at that moment in in the ceremony. So not not a lot of those. So anyway, the, the, these stars they're they're not so bright. And uh, Glenn Close managed to come out and use the word rot, um, the uh, the past participle of work, right? Uh, in order to uh, in in order to um, what was she doing? Introducing the immemorium, and uh, it gave a nice note of gravitas to uh, to the the proceedings. Uh, uh, can you answer? Before, I was actually. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Was this before or after um, John Travolta butchered the English language by saying something along the lines of "Idiga Menzel"? <laughs> Uh, that was, yeah, that was unfortunate. I don't know. I was pissed off with the jokes that Ellen made about people's names, not just because I am haunted by the legacy of Oprah, Uma, K, 
Keanu. Do you remember? Do you remember Dave Letterman? Saying, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. Oh. I remember. It was really boring. We, it I was. Under- yeah, it was really boring. And, and but I. It also was like the whole thing is a publicity stunt, right? Like acknowledge that you're part that you're participating in a giant three and a half hour commercial that ironically has commercials inserted into the middle of it, <laughs> and uh, get people's freaking names right to make their publicists happy. My dreams of people spelling my last name correctly have been shattered. Shattered, I say. That's Adina Menzel. Although, now that everyone knows you say it Menzel, no one's going to say my last name right anymore. So, <laughs> But she was my big hope. After it turned out that Denzel Washington wasn't going to pan out in terms of people making the connection, I was hoping she was really going to come over mainstream. But John Travolta, or rather, I should say, Nicolas Cage wearing John Travolta's face really <laughs> fouled things up <laughs> You can't prove it wasn't him because Nicolas Cage was nowhere near the Oscars tonight. Or was he? Was he in front of all of us? Even he wasn't nominated for anything he was in this year? Such as, for example, I'm going to look up on IAB.com. Nicholas Cage. Okay, go on. I'm looking this up. <laughs> <laughs> Oprah. Uma. So, so I actually, one of the, I'm looking at the Ellen uh, selfie right now, and I just, I just love Kevin Spacey right in the middle of the Ellen selfie, especially because it's like, I'm three feet away from the center of power, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> Kevin Spacey, just this idea, I just developed this fantasy throughout the whole show, and I tweeted a little bit about it, that the poor performance of Ellen was due to emotional manipulation by Kevin Spacey. It <laughs> yes. taken place over weeks and months, so that when Kevin Spacey came out, who would be given the crappy as all get out job of introducing like the governor's awards, so that he could come out and look like the greatest guy in the world for merely speaking with a little bit of energy in front of a large crowd of people right. uh, who are all trained to speak in front of people with energy. So okay, yeah, hey, yeah like, Kevin Spacey. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go any further, Nick Cage was the voice of Grug in The Croods, which was nominated for Best Animated uh, Feature. He totally oh, so could have been there. He could have been there. He could have been yeah, there. Maybe yeah. he was. Croods. Maybe John Travolta was there wearing his face, and he was in the back. I don't know. Huh. Boo. <laughs> Boo hiss. Croods. Croods. <laughs> so it seemed to me that the idea was to not offend anybody, right? Yes. Like that the, that the, the corporate masters had decreed that this will be a, an Oscars completely devoid of anything that anyone might get upset even a little bit, uh, even a little bit about. Um, and that is, uh, that is a, a terrible recipe for an entertaining <laughs> show. That is a terrible recipe for a memorable show, right? Um, the, the, cause, cause it ensures that nothing will happen. That however reprehensible, however misogynistic, uh, the, we saw your boob song was, we could all join in our hatred of it. You know, we could all like, uh, we, there, there was something to podcast about. Right after after the I mean, after it is, the show. it is funny. It is funny that the thing that felt most energizing that we all want to talk about the most was Matthew McConaughey's absurd proclamations about his future self being his own hero, and that's like the big takeaway. I mean, prior to that, I guess the Frozen people gave a pretty solid acceptance speech, but really for most of the broadcast, Jared Leto's appeal to help the Ukraine, his very vague appeal for social change in the Ukraine and Venezuela, was like the most interesting 
interesting thing that anyone had said. The, yeah, guess, exactly. The, yeah. the idea that the Hollywood elite stands with the downtrodden of the world in the, <laughs> you know, the world's violent hotspots. Well, when, when Jared Leto says we, what does he mean? <laughs> I think that's an important question because I don't know if Jared Leto considers himself to be like, like, what? how does he subdivide himself? Does he mean the cast of my so-called life? <laughs> I was just about to make that crack. <laughs> For Jordan like, Catalano's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. We talked about Jared Leto's ridiculous uh, Ukraine and Venezuela comment. Right? Ridiculous. Can we can we unpack that? No, no it's not. Yeah, I, I I'm with Pete. There it's was not... an element that was a, a, a little bit like okay, like when I think we we're all on Twitter, we saw Twitter's collective eyes roll, right? Because well, that's what Twitter does. That's what people on Twitter do. Sure, they but anyone, I mean, anyone who does anything anything sincere makes the internet's eyes roll. The internet is an anti sincerity machine, you know, and and. Like, like I, of the of the ridiculous things that happen in Oscar acceptance speeches, like remember James Cameron asked for a minute of silence for victims of the Titanic, right? <laughs> Did he really? Yes. Man. Yeah. After they swept every category for Man. for Best Picture, it was like uh, it was let's be uh, let's have a minute of silence for the victims of the iceberg, for iceberg victims everywhere. And then uh, he said his fa- his famous quote, which is now let's go out and party till dawn. Um, so, uh, you know, so, so uh, my, my point is that you're grading on a curve with Oscar speeches, and uh, it, it was probably not even in the top five uh, most ridiculous in history. Are you serious? It's not even like the top 25. There like the one where Marlon Brando doesn't show up and sends an Indian. Like it sends a not actual Indian, right? Someone, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. A, a dark-skinned it. person dressed as a Native American. <laughs> Portray it. Yeah, exactly. No, yes, I, I am serious, Pete. I'm just being understated. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. You're, you're giving him the benefit of the doubt because of also because of proximity. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. I mean, okay. So just to uh, to spell out clearly what i'm thinking about here right is that like um it is not a a a bad or offensive sentiment to have right which is like you know the people of venezuela and ukraine who are being crushed by the boot of authoritarianism uh deserve some uh some support right like i can say that right now and say that the people of venezuela and ukraine deserve some support you know because they're being crushed by the heel of authoritarianism right it's just that like i don't have an audience a primetime audience and i'm not a huge celebrity and didn't just win an award right it's all about uh, content we have an audience that's right now listening to this podcast mark like you have you can say it and it'll go out there and it'll be meaningful i mean you're not talking to just us you know what mark i, I, I screw you mark i uh, on behalf of overthinking it i stand with the people <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, this is you from 10 years from now. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God, Matt. Oh, wow. Wow. Really? God, the, the hairline trend did not stop, did it? Look, there's no time for this right now. We need to save the prime minister of the United States. Wait, is this what year is this? What year is this? Oh, oh my God. We're going to have a prime minister in the future? <laughs> Wow, what was that? That was crazy. That was... <laughs> sorry. No, sorry. Well, okay, you so just this... gave us you could just gave our audience more entertainment than they had three and a half hours of the Oscar telecast. So I was thinking about this a lot while I was watching the show, which is that you have all these people who so are good at stuff. Like they they they, they do have like skills and talents for which people want to watch them. Uh, maybe that talent is only being interesting, which is hardly the worst thing to have on television, right? Uh, <laughs> so so um, 
even the ones who have no like real skill at the verisimilitude or at mimesis can at least like be conversation worthy and yet you create this situation where it's like let's do a three-hour show where they all read boilerplate copy written by the intern right like about like how everybody is a hero and all this stuff is great and it's like what? you know there's a room full of highly paid union writers who resent that you said yeah, I that just I, I write copy like that all the time personally like for my own job and it's just it's very safe it's very safe do you do, really, do, you do, do, you do remarks i know you do uh, publications but do only you do occasionally. yeah only yeah, very rarely. It's not yeah, really people, my- like when you say that, like, I'm reminded of a of a brilliant statement you made on this podcast several years ago after one of the Academy Awards. You said that the Oscars is a stage show. Yeah, that's yeah. put on television. That's produced by movie people. Yes, yes, and yes. you wonder why it's not great television. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, we were talking. Yeah, yeah. So this is one of the things Fiona and I were talking about. We were talking about our preference uh, for the Tonys, um, and you know, not just because we are people of the theater, but um, also because you you get to actually see the thing. Uh, that the show is about being done in front of you, right? And yes, it's still it's still televised, but it is uh, it you know it is um, theater being made about theater being made, you know, Ra- rather than rather than a show a live show uh, about. Um, about movies being made, and not even about movies being made, about the appreciation of movies uh, and the people who the people who make them. Right? As far as entertainment goes, what the best thing was probably was probably the crew uh, w- dancing around with the song from from Despicable Me. Right? Yeah, I mean, maybe Jamie Foxx when he was doing his little thing with Jessica Biel, that was pretty cute. Yeah, that that was great. I just meant as far as like spectacle goes. Oh right? yeah, like, yeah, it was like Pharrell. As... It was Pharrell's Yo Gabba Gabba thing, whatever it was he was doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, happy the song from Despicable Me too, with a coterie of about two dozen backup dancers, uh, well choreographed dancing, and a lot of fun, you know, swooping cameras that makes things interesting to watch and a catchy yeah. song. Imagine that, great entertainment. Yeah. It was good. It was good. I mean, U2 was a little bit flat, but they were there, and they're kind of a big deal, I guess. And uh, what? There was... Yeah, but not... Uh, not um, my, point, my point is, as far as, like, spectacle, right? It was four guys standing in a line, yes. you know, was the, was the U2 performance, right? On the second verse, Bono took three steps forward. That was the extent of the blocking <laughs> of, the, right. of the U2 performance, right? Like... Pink walked out from behind a curtain. Adina Menzel uh, stood center stage and then walked to like you know three steps down stage. Um, the it, it wasn't it wasn't huge on it wasn't huge on spectacle right because I guess spectacle takes time. But if you take that away, what's left still takes time and it's it's dull and plotting. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Seely kept rooting for one of the singers to uh, take flight with a harness. Right, um, Pink, uh, Ben Midler, Adina Menzel. Um, well, yeah, Pink because of the um, of the of the oh, uh, the the Wizard of Oz thing going on. Right, I know wrong Wizard well, of Oz. Well, also because of Pink's Pink does gravity. aerialist acts. Yeah, also that as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would have been a spectacle. That'd been interesting. But alas, nobody took flight. The gra- there was too much gravity going on that night, huh? Huh? The, people the choreographer off? of Spider-Man Turn Out the Dark was too busy doing the uh, opening ceremonies for the Olympics. <laughs> right? 
Because <laughs> he did that. That was the guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought you were joking. No, no I'm not joking. He's like he's Russian, but he lives in Queens. He worked with Julie Tamar. Yeah, exactly. And he uh, did the whole he did the whole thing with the Soviet guys and the heads flying around and the dudes with their giant hammers. Uh, but anyway, that now, was a course, couple. Is he not choreographing the invasion of Ukraine? Ha! Oh. Uh, too soon. Flock a flock of flame. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So, but no. But it was like you know, just a lot. Yeah, a lot of actors, a lot of performers, not really getting to perform. Uh, and and we don't get to watch that very much. We get to watch them say the stuff. Um, it was cool that there was a brief video footage of Angela Lansbury. That was nice. Hmm. Um, <laughs> like that'll do. That'll do. Oh man, should we talk about the winners at all? Like, or are we mostly concerned about the show? I, I'm mostly concerned about the show. I feel like that there weren't. I don't know. There weren't a lot of surprises. It, it's not often that you split best director and best picture. I guess that you know that means something. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I mean, has it become more frequent in recent years? Because uh, there was a while where it almost never happened, right? Um, but I mean, certainly, I'm looking. I'm looking at the you list can, now. Yeah, you can you can go back through the list. I guess I th- I think what it reflects, and and forgive me for saying this, but like I I think what it reflects is that um, a lot of people admired Twelve Years a Slave, but not a lot of people actually liked it. Right. Like, uh, or it doesn't, it doesn't give pleasure. You know, it's not designed. It does not designed to give pleasure. So let's put it this way. It was a political statement to give, to vote for 12 years a slave, right? Saying like, you know, this is the important significant film about slavery. You know, it connects to our current struggle for civil rights, all these things. And I should, I ought to vote for this for best picture, but all the other stuff, gravity. Yeah. uh, So I'm told I haven't seen it, but then on the other hand, gravity, you know, super enjoyable, incredibly technically innovating, all these other things. That, it also, I don't know, like Gravity, like I had, had panic attacks throughout Gravity, like the whole time. I'm not sure I found it, uh, found the experience of it pleasurable. I, I came out of it like needing a Xanax. But um, but it was, uh, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I sort of, I, I sort of, I, I guess I, I liked it. I, you know, I liked it more than watching three hours of Chiwetel Ejiofor get brutalized within an inch of his life right I mean, like, if you want to talk about the movie uh you know that was up for a lot of academy awards that was the most enjoyable to watch it probably would have been american hustle right which came home with very few awards uh yeah i mean in terms of being fun i don't know but i, I gosh i've only seen about half of them i saw american hustle i saw captain phillips i saw gravity i saw wolf of wall street i did philomena i wasn't even released around me i couldn't find it or i didn't know when it was in theaters uh i missed nebraska i wanted to see her but i didn't same with dallas buyers club and 12 years a slave yeah it just came and went just because of the time because it was released around christmas right they were all released around the same time so it was hard to see them all at the same right. time i mean the, the um, strategy the strategy is that you do like big market releases you do a qual sometimes you do a qualifying run around the holidays and then you hope that the run up to the oscars and the oscars the free publicity that the the award season generates you know helps uh helps get people to the movie and then and then word of mouth spreads um it doesn't. It doesn't always happen. Philomena was was uh, you know a hell of a good movie. Again, not enjoyable. I, I mean, it, it, like really, really sad. I guess we. I guess I have to like. It's on me to sort of d- define what I mean by enjoyable in films because you know I I believe that it's an art form and that it it is actually a disservice to the art form if every movie is a hand job, and that's actually not what I I go to art. 
Uh, four, you go to other things for, for that kind of experience. Um, and, and so, you know, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I just, I just, um, I, I, there's this sort of art entertainment, uh, dialectic that, that the Academy really struggles with, with, um, with the Academy Awards and and that uh, Chris Rock, I think, brilliantly threw into sharp relief with his Oscar bit about how no no people actually down at the Cineplex have seen any of the the films nominated for for best best picture. And so I, I guess I, I guess what I'm saying, despite the sort of laudable political uh, aspirations of some of the movies, uh, is that. It's it's um, I don't know. It's not it uh, that that's that's not it either, right? Like there is a like a basic entertainment function or a sort yeah, of yeah. I mean, captivating okay, function. Let's put it this way, and maybe this will pivot us to a different topic. All those montages that they're showing, which had uh, not easily discernible themes, or oh, they were part, were lacking in themes, but they had all the movies that people actually like, right? Like Independence Day. And Terminator <laughs> Two, <laughs> the movies that don't win the Oscars, they got put into the fun montages. Well, the montages were so bad. I, I mean, I, I do take some issue with the idea that the pictures nominated for Best Picture like weren't enjoyable or good, or weren't enjoyable or entertaining. But I think there's no real accounting for taste, and there probably isn't a really productive <clears throat> conversation to have there. But I just wanted to note my objection and like proceed, uh, so that we we know that there is at least some. Okay, so let's hijack the whole podcast and go down this route rabbit hole for 40 minutes Pete, no. because them's fighting words <laughs> but no but um <clears throat> sorry I, my my voice is totally gone from tweeting so much it's just totally <laughs> totally voted out um but yeah i guess i guess what well the montages had the montages showed a lot of older movies they showed a lot of movies we identified with personally i suppose i noticed that there were a lot of movies i'd seen in the last year that were on the montages, even older movies, like movies that float around Netflix, movies that you see here and there, movies that I feel like are part of our general experience. But I was also just deeply troubled by just because if there's one thing, if this is the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the one thing that they should be good at is putting together a montage of movie clips because they're supposed to have access to all of them. If they're supposed to have this big museum Right, like the, you could talk a little bit about the wonderful pitch for the museum that will change the future, which is the of course that, you, that we will all ride onto and uh, use and take the Kobayashi Maru. I'm sorry, it looked like a dick. It looked like a giant <laughs> dick sticking out of a. Yeah. You said something about a place you needed to go to get a certain kind of entertainment. <laughs> right, exactly. It's the Academy I, Museum of Handjobs. It's just like if you're going to make a museum about movies that's better than the like Museum of Television Radio Broadcasting, which is a fine museum, um, then you should be able to cut together the movies you have access to into decent montages. Like there should be these should be montages that excite people that are excited about movies. And we certainly know a fair amount about montages and how to make them effective, how to link them thematically, like what feels good, what doesn't. And it just feels like the montages were just totally lacking in energy or direction. You know, there was no none of the subtleties that I'm used to in a Blinky montage were present in any of these montages. Right, like the timing of the sound, like when you time the transitions in the music with things that are happening in the video, you make subtle connections between the semantics of the of the lyric or the implied lyric and the visuals. You progress, you know, you have like geometric progressions. There's no even like there didn't even seem to be too many like shot progressions, like like 
you know, sort of geometric progressions of orientations of objects in the frame. Like, it just seemed like they were just slapped together and, like, thrown on there. And it was just really kind of offensive. Um, Pete, I somebody think also cares Twitter, about you, montages you, like I do. Yeah, Pete, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think on Twitter you noticed the omission of uh, any of the Fast and Furious movies from this montage. There was one. There was one, yeah. The jumping, oh, it was. Okay. Jumping from car to car. Yep. Oh, yep. Okay. Yep. All right, it got some love. That's good. It was there. But, there, but Independence Day was used twice in that montage. Now, I love Independence Day, but you don't need to use the same movie from freaking 20 years ago in your Oscar montage. Right. It's, it's it like. It was never nominated for. I mean, maybe it won Oscar for like visual effects, but Jesus Christ. I, I remember when, when uh, we all saw an early draft of Belinky's How Hollywood Says I Love You card, and Belinky invited comments. And, and one of your notes, Pete, I don't know if you. If you uh, Recall this, but oh, yeah. your, your your note was uh, you can only play the Colin Firth card once. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> <And You're>, that- <laughs> for people who don't know what this is, there's a montage uh, that that Belinky made for Valentine's Day a couple years ago of all of these different people in movies saying "I love you." Uh, and, and he links it together into one big expression of love, similar to his much more famous 40 inspirational speeches video. And it's really beautiful. And we all end over thinking it pitching on these things. You know, he sends drafts around, we help him edit them, and we give our suggestions and our feedback. And, we, and it's sort of a, a team support is thrown in behind Blinky on these projects. But yeah, but it was like he had, you know, he had Mr. Rochester, he had the guy from Love Actually, you know, he had like all these different Colin Firth characters showing up. And to hand it back to you, yes, you can only play the Colin Firth card once, even if it's different. Different Colin Firth at different times, right? Uh, yeah, in one montage, definitely. Yeah, no, for for romantic comedies, that's that's definitely you get one Colin Firth, and I think your note was, uh, and you're playing it too soon. Yes, right? yes because exactly. <laughs> you can't you can't put Colin Firth in the first minute of footage, at, at least. Yeah, and I feel the same the same thing uh, was operating here. Uh, you you can't play the Independence Card Day. Uh, you can't play the Independence Day card more than once. And uh, you know, even if it gets you out of a tight spot, you know, yeah. as far as like lining up your voiceovers or something. Yeah, I mean, you, you, it's a lot like playing like hearts or something where it's like, yeah, you can shoot for the moon, but you better commit to it early. And if you don't commit to it and then you try to shoot the moon later, it's going to fail you, right? And it's like, well, if you play your good cards early, you want to beat each necessary trick like, you know, just by a little bit, right? So that you save your good stuff for when you need it. You save your trumps. You don't go blasting out of the doors with your best stuff so you have nothing left. Um, and of course you also just don't like want a hand that's just full of hot garbage with nothing that you can play. So that's the first, I think that's the first reference to hearts that I've made on the, (laughs) which is like the the windows game of choice circa like 15 years ago, right? Like when people would play that rather than before in the days before free cell, which is of course already several generations ago. You didn't, uh, you you weren't a minesweeper fan. Yeah, but my, for me, it went Minesweeper preceded Hearts. Oh, I see. In terms of when I played them as the as the game that I played while I was using Windows, um, and Space Cadet Pinball is in there at various points, like an old friend who you probably shouldn't hang out with, but who keeps rolling around every time. Uh, hey, what about the, what about that hovercraft, hovercraft game? You guys remember that with the maze and hovercraft? Came to Windows ninety five. It was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to throw that one out there because I think people forget about that one. You should never forget that. This one. is how boring the Oscars. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. exactly. Oh, I just like threw something at my desk. Kind of <laughs> my like, hero is Matthew McConaughey playing Minesweeper. That's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Um, can, I, can we talk about the pizza bit? A, a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure. sure what there what there is to say to it, but say about it. But like, what is it? It's it's like. 
it's a joke that I, that's operating with the pathetic drop, right? Like that this is an extraordinarily august and highly moneyed and all dolled up uh, group of people for an occasion of great ceremony and moment. And, and Ellen is l- l- taking the piss, right? She's like letting the air out of that. Uh, it's, it's in the same camp of, as, as the selfies too, right? It's also something that fans of hers from her show would recognize as the kind of thing that she would do. Uh, and so it appeals to people who are reassured by their familiarity with her show. And it's also something that is very Oprah-ish to do. Albeit it's like – because remember, Oprah – And you're getting a slice and you're getting a slice and you're <laughs> well, getting exactly. a slice. Well, uh, so Oprah produces Ellen, right? Like Oprah owns Ellen, basically. Like Ellen is the new Oprah. <laughs> I own you, Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> Oh man, I'm not going to make any. I could make so many jokes that would be so off color based on the nominees for the and the winners of the Oscars, but I will not. But no, but it's like it's the same mentality of like you know the host is somebody a host figure is somebody who sort of gives something to everyone and makes everyone feel comfortable, but also kind of like gets people who seem a little bit hoity-toity to show that they're really actually accessible and just like the rest of yeah, us. Yeah, but, right? but she didn't give pizza to everyone, right? I think I saw her working the crowd there and like sort of seeking out the uh, the big A list celebrities nominees basically yeah giving those guys pizza yeah and also i I read on twitter that the pizza guy was a juilliard graduate which is offensive Um, (laughs) actually he he was a he was a plant and not like the actual pizza dude i mean that's what somebody said with a frowny face next to it so it must be true but no but of course not this is not to say that people who graduate from juilliard don't deliver pizza professionally Uh, no, but I, <laughs> um, but what I was saying is that like, yeah, what would it be like if she actually gave out? What if she actually did a full on loaves and the fishes and like actually gave out pizza to everybody there? Just had a big pizza party. I was like, worried. Was I was crazy. worried about the dresses, right? Like I was worried about the clothes before Brad Pitt started like trailing behind her, dropping paper plates in the laps of Meryl Streep at Alia. Uh, yeah. I was worried that they're going to drip some sauce on their on their clothes, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess they would be worried. Did you notice, I mean, I watched the red carpet. Do you notice this year on the red carpet, speaking of, like, how the, the, the clothes were something that seemed less and less in the control of the people who were wearing them, that they didn't even wait. I don't know if they do this every year because I don't watch it every year, but it seems slightly different. They didn't even wait for the celebrity to say, who were you wearing? They didn't even wait to ask them. They asked them before. And then uh, they... They, like, asked them before the interview, and then if the celebrity didn't volunteer the information, they would bring it up. And there was a big scrolling marquee behind everybody showing the names of all the celebrities and what designers they were wearing. Like, they are really doing damage control still from that, like, problem a few years ago where, like, some of the celebrities wouldn't say it and they didn't even ask it. And Ryan Seacrest didn't ask it and the designers got all in an uproar about it. Really? That was the thing? Oh yeah, there was a big uh. scandal where, like, where like uh, it was all over the place. Where a bunch of the designers who you know provided these clothes for the Oscars, they weren't mentioned on air, and they were furious, and they called their friends who you know at the studios and at the Academy and all that stuff. And it was made abundantly clear that you have to say who you are wearing, right? Um, so you, even to the point now where they just take it out of the celebrities' hands and they tell them. Right? There were a lot of celebrities who had to play it off and be like, "Oh wow, you could tell just by looking," right? Like they, there's mm. this is a joke that happened like two or three times during the red carpet that i saw more than two more than two like three four five times 
uh, of people being like, wow, you already know who I'm wearing because we live in a hellish dystopian police state. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know that I have on Oscar de la Renta. Um, or as The Onion uh, said, you know, when Jennifer Lawrence showed up in her Oscar de la Hoya gown. Um, <laughs> it was a great picture of her in a boxing robe. Uh, I believe it's been altered. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, um, the clothes don't seem to, the clothes don't seem to be wearing, be worn on the people. They seem to be sort of like a pet that the people have been entrusted with that they must care for. And yet they don't entirely know how to care for. (laughs) It's like if somebody had given me like a ferret and I'd be like, I think these things are robust, but I'm not sure. Like what kind of temperatures can they tolerate? Like, do they need like a certain pH? Like I better not feed them this milk. You know, like that sort of, we told you not to feed them after midnight. We told you not to get the clothes wet. We told you not to eat pizza in your priceless Oscar de la Renta gown. Yeah. You know? Well, okay. Well, so- oh, okay. Well, was, uh, Pete, I don't know if you're taking us in a different direction, but just to figure out what's going on here with this uh, whole, you know, uh, designers in the gowns thing going on, right? It's that, um, you know, they, they, the actors want to basically hide this real crass commercial uh, aspect of this evening, right? That sort of they are given these gowns for promotional purposes, essentially, that they are walking billboards, right? They, because the whole thing is such an august affair, they feel like that needs to be uh, put behind the veil of sorts, right? It's a very different well, thing, whereas like the basketball player is wearing uh, the Nikes because Nike pays him to wear Nike basketball shoes, right? It's patently obvious to everybody, but it can't be that way on the well, carpet. Well, it's also, it's also that the basketball player always wears the same shoes, whereas this is a dress that you're wearing one time, and you're out there for like two and a half hours, and all sorts of people are taking pictures of you, and you're probably already kind of tired, right? It's already been kind of a long day, and then this this next person, I, I would suspect that it is not, maybe in some cases, it's like I am above the crass commercialism of pimping my dress, but I would suspect in a lot of cases, they just don't care, right? It's like, it, mm, by, especially yeah. by the time they're on camera, it's just like, this is hard enough. And it's also annoying enough. It's also like the end billionth awards ceremony. It's the last one. They've been doing them for a long time. There's been a big gap since the last one. So I totally sympathize with this. With yeah, the, the last one was last night. The last one was the Independent Spirit Awards down at the beach in Santa Monica. <laughs> so they had one last night. So they're all like hungover from the Independent Spirit Egg- Exactly. <laughs> like no joke. That is true. That makes total sense. And was, Kevin, was Kevin Spacey not invited to that party, and that's why he was fresh as a daisy and also vengeful? Kevin Spacey, Kevin Spacey was like slurring his speech and putting – he didn't even put down his champagne flute in his pre-show interview. Now, then he got up on stage during the actual show and like knocked it out of the park. But, uh, um, you know, and hey, theater, you know, theater actor, right? Like he actually is used to uh, – Standing on his two feet in front of people and delivering lines to a room full of people in a compelling way. Uh, he was uh, working for the last guy in the last row, right? Whereas Ellen's uh, <laughs> last row is just like you know twenty yards away from her. Do you notice how many? How how many? Just technically, how many of Ellen's jokes end kind of with her muttering down? Okay, what? No. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> How much would you have? How much more would Kevin Spacey have had to drink for him to just like launch into one of the pipe dream speeches from the Iceman comment? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, now, now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer. Or the Southern accent would be better. Right now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this son of York, uh, and right in in his Frank Underwood voice. Yeah, how funny was it that like m- amoral 
like sort of smarmy southern white dudes were like this presence during the year that was like declared in advance to be politically belonging to 12 years a slave like right you had like kevin spacey and matthew mcconaughey both playing these caricatures uh of sorts like i mean i guess i guess kevin spacey was pretty far away from where 12 years a slave showed up in the show but there's just the presence of the the weird sort of spotty presence of the Southerner because it's not like Matthew McConaughey was like the only Southern person there is basically what I what I'm getting to like there were no other people who talked on stage with a Southern accent right it was just Matthew McConaughey sure Ever? yeah yeah which is interesting because there's people from all over the place who move to Los Angeles but I guess you know it's a lot of locals people lose their accent they learn elocution they have to do these things. Um, but I mean, Kevin Kevin Spacey is from, um, uh, and you know, I I beg to differ. Movie actors don't learn elocution, right? <laughs> I, they could barely. I mean, not everyone can say the word "rot" yeah. like like Glenn Close can. Um, Kevin Spacey from South Orange, New Jersey, right? Like, oh, yeah. so even he he was. Uh, kind of play acting at at being a southerner but like matthew mcconaughey laid it on on thick with his you know his daddy with a pot of gumbo and a lemon meringue pie and a uh cold miller high life or no what did he say cold miller light yeah miller light in his hand and he's dancing around like this you know but All he's right. not my hero. My hero is me. <laughs> Ten years from now. You know, just to defend that a little bit, like, there is a, a way of saying that that kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> like, there is a way of saying, like, you know, it's not appropriate for me to look up to anyone else, really, because no one else – I live a different fundamental life than you do. You live a different life than another person. Like, we're all responsible for ourselves, and we all need to motivate ourselves and believe in ourselves. And, you know, maybe even something to the extent of we can only really be there for each other if we also, you know, get better ourselves and recognize that we have room to improve. Of course, he didn't say any of these things. But just the idea – it's not on its face absurd to aspire to be the person that you want to be in a decade. Right, and to sort of yeah. like to set that up—that's not absurd on its face. I think this—the tone with which he said it—is part of what makes it so hilarious and awesome, uh, and terrible and stupid. But all of those things all at once. But but the thing I wanted to say before was, um, Kate Blanchett's quote was really interesting. I want I, this feel, felt particularly ripe for our particular sort of podcast, right? Which is where she said what that it was a uh, that's an uh, that the, the awards that are given out, you know, arbitrarily but still mean something. Sure. I think she used the words random and subjective. Yeah. <laughs> but they still mean something, despite being random yeah, and subjective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is quite a which is quite a quite a statement. Like that's almost as controversial a statement as Matthew McConaughey standing in front of the Hollywood elite and, and like unironically praising God. And you know, like it's uh it's this is something that is is not these are not ideas that go together all that seamlessly. Uh, this idea that something that can be random and arbitrary can also be meaningful in a way that isn't like on its face abhorrent and and you know calls for its own non-existence. So it is, right? I mean, it is it is nice to see. Like it is nice to see someone. Uh, I, you know what? There's no way I can say this without sounding bad, so I'm just going to go ahead and sound bad. It is, it is nice to see like expressions of of religion not being ghettoized just to the black performers. You yes, know? yes, right? Very- like that that. Uh, <laughs> and I actually noticed it. The, the whoever, whatever the the like the uh, model was, whose job it is to grab McConaughey by the elbow and and. Um, lead him off. That was uh, Kim Novak. 
uh, Kim Novak. <laughs> no, uh, when he was giving his his uh, best best actor speech, uh, was black behind him and clapped um, when he when he uh, said his thing about uh, looking up to God and how that that's very important to him. Um, yes. she she clapped and like then nervously looked at Jennifer Lawrence next to her, whose hands were down at her sides, <laughs> and stopped clapping. <laughs> right, like and. The, this this struck me as like a very interesting and kind of tense and awkward uh uh sort of moment in the in the whole in the whole telecast it, it that is really interesting that's definitely interesting i i de- right because like uh, and and i i think it's terrible that like oh well yes of course she's singing you know his eye is on the sparrow right but she's black right like that's that's okay you yeah, know she has soul right <laughs> yeah and like that which is of course you know something that's it's a magical power that you have by virtue of the ethnicity that you're born <laughs> by by virtue of the power of steve mcqueen's 12 years a slave right <laughs> So yeah, that's yeah. that's horrible. Too far, too far. Okay, well, well I'll pedal that one. But I want to, I want to, like, I, I want to lampshade kind of how cynical the whole thing is. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry, I Mark, was, I didn't mean to railroad you there. No, I, I just wanted to use the break in at some point and just mention the fact that in a series of articles I've done on overthinking over the past few years, I pointed out um, that the word God is rarely ever used in the speeches, and uh, sort of by inference, people are rarely thinking God. Um, it happens. It's a very rare thing. And uh, just this year, Slate.com did some big uh, number crunching speech on the Oscars that got all the traffic, uh, which my little pieces didn't. But it's okay, Slate. You know, you can write on my coattails. And get <laughs> That's fine. Wow. Yeah. Them. Great, Slate. Huge social yeah. media marketing budget. What, did you buy some Facebook ads for that post? <laughs> what, you, you, you sponsor a couple tweets? God's sake. We've been killing it. We've been killing it for six years. <laughs> 2,000 posts and counting as of today. I'm just really looking forward to the day when the New York Times publishes all our articles. Because <laughs> right now it only does the occasional one. But anyway, <laughs> unattributed. <laughs> anyway, Mark, but Mark, you were saying. Well, so is that, is that a recent trend or is that something that's been going for a while? Uh, let's see here. Slate uh, listed out over the last 12 years. I haven't uh, read the whole thing in depth yet, uh, but I'm just scrolling down to here. God, where is God? God, 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 God. Uh, it's only been mentioned three times. In, in the last 12 uh, over years? Over the last 12 years, yeah. Wow. So four, four now. Wow. Actually, four five, now. five tonight, I guess. Five? What was the fifth one? Was it, wasn't it uh, uh, I, I, um, whoever the, the singer was who uh, 20 Feet from Stardom uh, featured and and it was and she mentioned God and then sang his eyes on the sparrow. Oh, like the the who sang during her acceptance speech. Yes, yeah. Oh, so directly to this point, I'm on the slate that uh, has this fun little infographic thing. I give credit to Slate for putting this fun thing together because Lord knows we do not have the resources to do that. Overthinking.com. The three actors uh, from 2002 to just going to say just going to say there's a PayPal link on the homepage, guys. <laughs> PayPal link on the homepage. The three actors who have thanked God in the Academy Awards prior to this uh, show were Denzel Washington in 2002, Jennifer Hudson in 2007, and Forrest Whitaker in 2007. Jesus what do they have in common? But the fact, other than the fact that they all thank God. Uh, it, talent? Oh, uh, yeah. They're all black. Yeah. I was going to say that they had curly hair, but Jennifer Hudson doesn't th- pick that. I couldn't think of anything else. Um, but no, so, so Matthew McConaughey is the first white person to thank God in an Oscar speech. In, like, more, in more than a decade. In right? more than a decade. <laughs> wow. That's like a big deal. That's like a pretty freaking big deal. 
That's really interesting. That's yeah, really like the Hollywood and the liberal agenda, and whatnot. Hashtag TCOT. True conservatives on Twitter. I thought it was top. I thought it was state of myself that I know. I thought it was top conservatives on on Twitter. I, you know, I don't know. I see I see people I follow sometimes uh, sometimes troll them. You know, by putting uh, putting things. I mean, you know, I it's it's. I guess Matthew McConaughey had to mention God after he used his movie to to promote a liberal gay agenda. Well, it's funny. I mean, are you guys watching? Are you guys watching True Detective too? Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Which no, like? No, not tonight. I didn't switch over to True Detective no. <laughs> tonight, so I haven't seen Seven. No spoilers. I didn't want to go spicy handed with my McConaughey like ranting about the, <laughs> the like afterlife. Um, but I mean, not to go into too much detail, but it is pretty interesting how McConaughey's character in True Detective is the exact opposite of McConaughey's McConaughey's like character accepting the goal, the the uh, the Yellow King at the Oscars. Right, accepting his little statuette. Where, like, you know, the true detective is like a really aggressive, uh, very proselytizing atheist who is also sort of like, you know, doesn't believe in individual identity, but also has these sort of weird Gnostic ideas of like the cyclicality of time um, and all this other stuff. And he just rants about these things. And of course, like, and it and shows sort of, and also like a kind of Kierkegaardian sense of like despair is the sickness unto death, except you can't die from despair. And that's the most despairing thing of all is that your despair can't consume you. Yes. You as know? opposed to my dad is up in heaven with a big pot of gumbo, <laughs> like Cole Miller Light, right? Like dancing around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Russ Cole does not, uh, uh, does not th- does not think that. By the way, can we just can we just sidebar into True Detective for a just little briefly. bit? No if you, spoilers. If you yeah no, no no if you want to if you want to watch True Detective and you watch the first uh, half hour or the first hour and a half maybe and you say this is a little slow, stick with it, right? Because like it's all textural and it's all tonal and it's all like setting the stage. At the end of three, something happens where you're just like, what the hell? Is that uh, the last shot of three and then like four through six, which is what I've seen so far, are are just like eyes, eyes wide open, edge of your seat, like incredible, uh, incredible TV up, you know, up there with really good moments of like really good moments of. Breaking Bad or something, just in terms yeah. of like, as Shana Mulowski says, a holy moly scale. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. miss the Shana holy moly is from when we used to do Breaking Bad recaps. Yeah. Oh, man. I wonder how many parts of the Oscars would get holy moly's from Shana tonight. Probably not too many. Shana, if you listen to the podcast, leave us a note of how many holy moly's you would give the Oscars. And also how many holy moly's you give True Detective yeah. if you're watching it. I, I, that's one of the reasons I started watching True Detective, actually, is I saw Shana tweet about it, and she said, True Detective, holy moly! She's <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, we gotta, we got to check this out. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, holy moly's or godless moly's, as the case may be, in the case of, uh, in the, case of <laughs> the Academy oh, Awards. Nice. See what you did there. Very nice. Well done. <laughs> uh, hey, guys. Uh, the pe- the, the, the Fox moly's. What? The, the, the pizzas are here. Uh, oh, the are, yeah, okay. yeah. So, do you want to? Do you want to slice Pete? Do I rank? <laughs> do you? Want, <laughs> yeah, no, am I am I A list enough? Am I going to those B or C listers uh, or the hangers on that was uh, passed over for you a slice see of pizza? How pissed off Harvey Weinstein was that Ellen didn't let him pay for the whole pizza. <laughs> 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 took two hundred dollars from. Him. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Were yeah, you I don't think that was something? funny money. I think that was. I think that was actual. That was well, actual they, cash. And also, Brad Pitt, like you know, dude, Ellen sweating Brad Pitt, you know, twenties out of Brad Pitt, and then he just throws his whole wad in the hat. 
<laughs> and Benedict Cumberbatch sort of on the periphery of it, kind of wanting to be part of the fun, but being kind of uncomfortable and not understanding what was going on. Uh, that was him, like, sort of half photobombing the second or third selfie. That was kind of fun. Oh, man. Anyway, were you transitioning to something when I so rudely interrupted you? No, not, <laughs> not nothing worthwhile. We so can... we have nothing to say about the idea that the Oscars are both random and arbitrary, but also meaningful. Is this like a Varus? No, it's very, no, it's very, it's very sort of, it's very sort of Catholic, right? Like the the idea is that like we create meaning through 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 ritual, right? That they're meaningful because we do them, uh, and we have to do something. You know, we have to. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the two thousand years of Catholic theology right there, folks. <laughs> it's a sacramental Meaningful because theology. Meaningful because we got to do something, <laughs> right? It's not that. It's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's um, it's. Well, I say it because I'm Catholic, but also yeah, that's, that's where a lot of these jokes are coming. We all from. are here. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the full disclosure. Yeah. All three of us on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, are yeah, are Catholic, and and so like, but the idea, the idea of sacramentality, the idea of like, me, we make meaning, we make like important spiritual meaning through signs, right, through things that we act out in the world. Uh, yes. It's not, it's not contemplation, right? It's not remote. It's not an abstract idea. It's actually in the the sensory experience of the world and in the interpersonal experience of uh, our interactions with one another that we that we make meaning, and in 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 that sense. Uh, uh, that's that's what I was getting at when I sort of compared it to certain aspects of, of Catholic theology, right? And and so it could be anything, right? Like it's important that we give the Oscars every Sunday. You know, it's not necessarily important who, who takes the Oscars every year. You mean if we did have to do this every Sunday, we have to sit through those three and a half hours? Yeah, no, 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 I know, I know, but I was trying. I mean, I was exaggerating oh, okay. to oh, make oh, a see, point, right? Like to extend the metaphor in a different direction. You know, if you encounter a population that is watching the Oscars and you you seek to influence or communicate with or connect with that population uh, in any particular sort of way, you might want to adopt the Oscars as your own and like slightly adjust them so that they celebrate, you know, your values, but people still participate in the habits that they've always participated in, right? Like it's sort of like, uh, you know, this is, this is, you know, Kate Blanchett's mini celebration for female driven commercial films is like, you know, the Halloween to the Oscars Sandheim. Right, where it's like you know, I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating your traditional holiday, but now it's also my traditional holiday that is saying the things that I wanted to say. Right, and and uh, which is interesting that it's sort of always in play. Uh, what the Oscars are going to be about. I liked them better last year when they were about the superior glowering of Ben Affleck over like a non-adoring throng of people. <laughs> 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 that was a very good feeling when Ben Affleck was no, he didn't glower, but he could have. That's the thing, he could have. He was very happy. Ben Affleck was happy. Oh man. But yeah, anyway, it's it's uh just it's just interesting. It's just interesting that like the Oscars are this because it's not like there aren't other award shows that would love to be the Oscars. It's not like there's nothing else that could supplant them potentially. I mean, they very well might give way at some point to something else that, that works differently. Although the, the idea that they are now like that, that one selfie, despite not being a particularly good joke, is now the number one most retweeted tweet ever. You know, like that, that says something about the uh, entrenched, the behaviors, the habits, the, the connections, the social capital, all of the different things that sort of wrap around this peg in the loom, right? All of the different threads that are all coming together at this one spot. Um, it certainly is a place of importance, a cairn of sorts for the. It's up for the Laleens of our of our uh, Celtic adoration. 
Um, right. I don't know. Um, it's really late. It's like one fifteen in the morning right now. <laughs> We've been going for a while. Yeah. We should let um, these, uh, we should let these guys, um, get off the podcast because they are, uh, uh, you, you East coasters are, are stalwarts to pull, to pull this on. Can, can I say one other thing though? Just one thing that I feel like needs to be addressed. What, what the F was up with the Lone Ranger being nominated for best makeup? Like, like the movie that had the movie whose only notable thing was that it had the worst makeup. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It's not. It's not. It's not an award for best taste in makeup. No, but not you know, even. <laughs> but not even like the worst makeup of the year. Just like the worst makeup. Just the worst. It's just the worst makeup. Hey, that, th- those bird feathers were woven into Johnny Depp's hair one by one by a I team mean, of fifty highly trained artisans. You know, one per feather. I mean, I tweeted this out that, like, when they showed the Lone Ranger nomination and they showed Johnny Depp's face as Tonto when he was nominated for Best Makeup, it's like that's the – he's the only person whose face has been shown in the nomination of a film for an Oscar, like, uh, you know, in front of everybody at the Oscars, who, if confronted about it, would refuse to talk or praise about the movie that he was involved in. Is, it, <laughs> like, is that a real thing like, or are you just – are you speculating? No, I'm that, just speculating. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I just – like, I, I can't imagine – I mean, I'm sure he would. I'm sure if you forced it. He'd be like, no, they were actually really great and they did a great job. But it was just like, there was something, maybe it was the pained look of Tonto in that still image, along with the knowledge that Johnny Depp was not in the theater, right? Like to, to, to be there for this thing. And that like, even the makeup artists weren't shown. It was just Johnny Depp. I don't know. Just, I was really following the makeup award because of grand, bad grandpa being nominated, which was this year's U571, right? It was like, <laughs> it was like this year's wanted. Usually it's in sound editing where you get the movie that is not, um, that is not like Oscar caliber that's going to win an Oscar, like uh, Transformers, Dark of the Moon or something is going to get nominated for Best Sound Editing. I refer to, refer to it as the U571 Oscar because it, um, it went to Matthew – w- that's a submarine movie with Matthew McConaughey and John Bon Jovi uh, in a submarine, <laughs> and it won Best Sound Editing. Pro- and a lot of, hey, hey, notice, hey, Academy Award winner Matthew McConaughey, thank you very much, and true. John Bon Jovi. And, 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 and minor league professional football team franchise owner John Bon <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's it often goes to movies that take place on boats or trains because it's hard to edit sounds that take place on boats on trains. Yeah, they they really killed the Lone Ranger franchise. It was much better off in in the uh, in the hands of its former owners. Oh really? Yeah. So if you want to uh if you want to comment on uh anything that we've said tonight or your own thoughts about Ellen's lame uh like just marking time, filling time cuz cuz what the Oscars needs is to be stretched out, right? It's it needs uh needs a long bit that kind of peters off into, you know, nothing like well like this. I guess like this, you know. Notice that all her jokes, none of her jokes end with a punchline, you know? At least Matthew McConaughey's speech ended with a punchline. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so if you want to uh, share your observations about the Oscars, uh, leave a comment on the show notes. Uh, email the email that no one ever emails. Call the phone number or text it that no one ever calls. And, <laughs> and we will be back uh, um, uh, next week with more Overthinking and Podcast. Until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve it. So I was looking at my phone and 
I missed a piece of the In Memoriam montage. Did they show Paul Walker in the In Memoriam montage? Yes. Yeah, they, yeah, did. they did. Okay, so Paul Walker made it, but, but, but Corey Monteith did not make it. Harold, Harold Ramis made it also, and I know there's like always a timing thing because it's supposed to be last year or something like right. something like right. that, and this it's always a sticky thing. But they they did the right thing and just went with it. I don't think Corey Monteith is a member of the Academy, though. Oh, right. Like I I think it's Academy members, members of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, or I guess like people who have done great services to film, like Roger Ebert. They put Corey Monty's picture on the website. I know that much. Oh yeah, yes, there is an extended. Uh, uh, there is an extended version. Yes, with an extended version of Bette Midler's. Did you ever know that you're my hero playing it? Yeah, it just it just plays. It's a MIDI file. It just plays nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever know that you're my hero? Harvey, how are you? I'm sad because I didn't get any pizza. <laughs>